Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Episode 79 of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. Sanctions and fraud take our focus this week, but other areas of financial crime tick along nicely. We'll also look at this week's cyber attack news. As usual, the main stories are flagged in the podcast description. We'll start with sanctions. In the United Kingdom, the Court of Appeal has handed down judgment in an appeal brought by Boris Mintz, the sanction Russian oligarch in an action brought against him and three others by two banks for the sum of 850 million US dollars. Quotes, on the basis that they conspired with representatives of the claimant banks to enter into uncommercial transactions with companies connected with the appellants by which loans were placed with worthless or replaced with worthless or near worthless bonds. Of the two banks, NBT, and Otriti, Otriki was a designated person under the UK sanctions regime and it was contended for by the defendant that NBT was owned or controlled by one or more designated persons. Because of that it was caught by the sanctions regime and the action should not proceed. The Court of Appeal upheld the decision of the first instance in finding that entry of a money judgment in favour of a designated person was not contrary to the UK-Russia sanctions regime and that licences could authorise the actions relating to the litigation as it proceeded. Link to the judgment is in the podcast description. In other news allied to sanctioned Russian oligarchs, the Ministry of Justice of Ukraine has announced that it is to file an action in Ukraine's anti-corruption court designed to recover assets belonging to Mikhail Friedman. The action will also seek part of the mobile operator Kyivstar, with revenue received to pass to Ukraine. This news for Fridman follows the announcement by the National Crime Agency in the UK that it has dropped its investigation into Fridman, which we reported on in episode 76 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Ukraine has also published a list of artworks believed to belong to sanctioned Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich. The link to the list is in the podcast description. A couple of Minor pieces of news from the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, in the UK. It has amended two licences. First, a licence relating to prior obligations. The amendments to that licence make changes to definitions and provide clarification as to the amounts, as well as extending the operation of the sanctions until the 21st of May 2024. The second licence is one under which UK-designated persons may make permitted payments to energy companies from a frozen UK bank account by bank transfer or by direct debit. Links to the licences are in the podcast description. In the US, the Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, has announced sanctions against two shipping companies for violating the Russian oil price cap. The crude oil price cap took effect in December 2022, with a cap on Russian crude oil at $60 a barrel. The press release from OFAC goes on. The SCF Primori, 
carried Noviport crude oil priced at above $75 per barrel from a port in the Russian Federation after the crude oil price cap took effect. United Arab Emirates-based Lumber Marine SA is the registered owner of the SCF Primori. The Yasa Golden Bosphorus carried ESPO, and that's Eastern Siberia Pacific Oil, crude oil, priced above $80 per barrel after the crude oil price cap took effect. Turkey-based Ice Pearl Navigation Corp. is the registered owner of the Yasa Golden Bosphorus. Link to the press release to that story is in the podcast description. And finally, on sanctions this week, a deal is close, which could mean the ban on Russian diamond sales finally coming into force. The deal had been waiting on the final nod from Belgium. Apparently, around 90% of the world's diamond trade passes through Antwerp. Now that is it for sanctions news this week. Let's move on to consider fraud news. This week's fraud news starts with the appearance in court of four individuals accused of fraud in relation to the collapse of Patisserie Valerie, which was a cake company. I think the name lives on and has been introduced to Sainsbury's stores in the UK. Now, as we reported in episode 75 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, the SFO, quotes, has charged former director and chief financial officer of Patisserie Valerie Holdings PLC, um, Christopher Marsh, and his wife, accountant Louise Marsh, as well as financial controller Pritesh Mystery and financial consultant uh, Nilesh Kumar Ladd, with conspiring to inflate the cash in Patisserie's holdings, balance sheets, and annual reports from 2015 to 2018 including by providing false documentation to the company's auditors. During this time, the company also reported holding £28 million in accounts, yet concealed £10 million in debts from its investors and creditors. All four defendants have been released on bail until a plea hearing at Southwark Crown Court, scheduled for the 7th of November. Now to news of a conviction, then a review for fraud. First, Bernie Eccleston, the businessman and former boss of Formula One, who has been convicted of failing to declare trusts which held assets of more than £416 million. He's been sentenced to 17 months imprisonment, which has been suspended for two years. Eccleston has made a payment of in excess of £650 million in relation to his tax affairs, which covers sums, uh, which sum covers the tax, the interest and any civil penalties that might be due. The link to the Crown Prosecution Service press release is in the podcast description. Secondly, the Criminal Cases Review Commission, the CCRC, has referred the conviction of Carlo Palombo to the Court of Appeal in the United Kingdom. Palombo was sentenced to four years imprisonment in 2019 after being found guilty of conspiracy to defraud in relation to Eurobor rigging. The motivation for the referral appears to have been the quashing of convictions of two former traders in the US in circumstances similar to those of Palombo. The link to the CCRC press release is in the podcast description. Staying in the United Kingdom for a couple more stories first. The payment systems regulator has published an open response to concerns which have been raised about its APP scams reimbursement plans. The link is in the podcast description. 
Secondly, the Home Office has announced the terms of reference for the independent review of disclosure and fraud offences. As to the fraud aspect of the review, the Home Office announcement provides The review will assess whether the nature of current fraud offences meet the challenges of modern fraud, including whether penalties fit the crime. The review will explore if certain fraud offences should be summary only rather than tri tribal either way. This phase will also consider making it easier for individuals to inform on associates in criminal fraud networks and investigate the scope of existing civil powers and whether they go far enough to tackle fraud, including exploring a fraud-specific order. The link to that is in the podcast description. The final fraud stories this week come from the US Department of Justice and concern our old friend COVID-19 fraud. First, 10 individuals have been charged with COVID-19 relief fraud, the sums involved amounting to almost a million dollars. This is a quote from the press release. The defendants allegedly obtained funds under the EIDL, that's the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, and PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, by submitting false and fraudulent loan applications that collectively sought over $950,000. The defendants are alleged to have submitted applications on behalf of businesses and entities they purportedly owned, knowing that the applications contained materially false statements and misrepresentations concerning, among other things, the purported entity's number of employees, gross revenues, costs of goods sold, average monthly payroll and the date on which the entities were established. In the other story, a man from Nevada has been sentenced to 28 months in prison for fraudulently obtaining over half a million dollars in Paycheck Protection Program and Economic Injury Disaster Loan claims. Links to the DOJ press releases are in the podcast description. Now the final story, again, it's from the US. It's from the US Bureau of Justice Statistics, which has published its report on victims of identity theft for 2021. Yeah, you did hear me right, 2021. It found that in 2021, quotes, about 23.9 million US residents aged 16 or older, that's 9% of the population, had experienced identity theft. As of 2021, about one in five persons, 22%, had experienced identity theft in their lifetime. In 2021, almost 4% of people had their credit card misused, while 3% had their bank account misused. 2% experienced misuse of their email or social media account. Nearly 1% had their personal information misused for fraudulent purposes, such as getting medical care or applying for a job or government benefits. Less than 1% had their personal information misused to open a new account. Link to the press release, summary, full report and data summary to this interesting report can be found in the podcast description. Now, a very limited amount of money laundering news this week, but we start in the UK where the Financial Conduct Authority has updated its crypto asset AML CTF regime feedback on good and poor quality applications webpage. Link is in the podcast description. And finally on money laundering this week, I told you there wasn't much, we turn to New Zealand where David Ray, the convicted money launderer who's had funds on deposit frozen in New Zealand bank accounts, has appealed to the Supreme Court of New Zealand in an attempt to have his case reviewed. 
after the order for restraint of funds obtained by the Commissioner of Police was made without full disclosure and with certain detail misrepresentation. Link to the New Zealand Supreme Court page containing links to relevant documents, including earlier case law in the appeal and video of this week's hearing, is in the podcast description. Although I will say this, when I tried to look at the video, just to prepare for this, it didn't work. Now, away from money laundering to bribery and anti-corruption this week, we start in China, where the ruling Communist Party has expelled Liu Liang, the former chairman of the state-owned Bank of China, from its membership. According to the Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, Liang was accused of illegal activities and taking bribes, including taking accepted entertainment at private clubs and ski resorts. The Uh, Staying in that part of the world, uh, for three further stories. First, the Supreme Court in Myanmar has declined to hear an appeal by Aung San Suu Kyi, the former leader, following her conviction for corruption, abuse of authority and accepting bribes. Secondly, an advertising executive at the publishing house Kadokawa has been found guilty of bribing a former official of the Tokyo Olympics. Toshiyuki Yoshihara was handed a two-year prison sentence suspended for four years. Thirdly, and finally, a bit of a blast from the past here. We reported in episodes 2 and 49, if you've stuck with us that long, well done, of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast on the case of Roger Ng, the former Goldman Sachs banker who was sentenced in the US to 10 years for his part in the fraud on the Malaysian National Investment Vehicle. Well, it's been announced this week that he will also stand trial in Malaysia before he begins serving his sentence in the United States. More on that surely to come. In the UK, we'll end this week, it's party conference season. In other words, the political parties get together and have a jamboree. The Conservatives had theirs in Manchester recently. Uh, Labour Party had its conference in Liverpool last week. And I'm not sure where the Liberal Democrats are having theirs, but I'm sure they'll be having it somewhere equally interesting. But the interesting thing this week is that the Labour Party has made an interesting announcement. Now, as you know, in previous episodes of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, we've reported on the scale of COVID-19 recovery scheme fraud, which has been committed across the world, but also in the United Kingdom, where I've reported on various committee reports So I've reported on these these various committee reports which have looked at the scale of fraud in relation to COVID-19 fraud. Well, the Labour Party has announced that should it win the 2024 general election, it's committed to recovering misappropriated funds through the appointment of an anti-corruption commissioner. Little detail is being offered at the moment, but there's no surprise in that. However, it will be interesting to see the shape that this will take as they add more detail in the run-up to the 2024 general election in the UK. When that will happen precisely is unclear. Could happen anywhere from June to November, really. Anyway, watch this space. That's it for bribery and anti-corruption. What we've got is next a little bit on market abuse, then a general roundup before we hit the cyber attack news this week. There's one market abuse story this week and it's from the US where the Department of Justice has updated its mergers and acquisitions safe harbor policy. Under the revised policy, acquiring companies receive a presumption of declination of prosecution 
if they make prompt and voluntary disclosure of criminal misconduct within six months from closure of an acquisition. Secondly, if they provide cooperation to the DOJ's investigation. And thirdly, engage in timely and appropriate remediation, restitution and disgorgement. The link to that is in the podcast description. Now, a bit of general uh, general news on financial crime, and then we'll pass and look at cyber attack news. We'll start the general news in the US, where the Department of Justice has published remarks by the acting Assistant Attorney General Nicole Argentieri. These remarks were made to the American Bar Association 10th Annual London White Collar Crime Institute meeting. In a broad-ranging speech, she set her remarks in the context of the work of the Department of Justice's Criminal Division. There are four broad themes to the comment which were comments which were made. First, the division's commitment to combating white collar crime and protecting financial markets in collaboration with international partnerships. Secondly, the division's corporate enforcement policies and their implementation. Thirdly, the work of the task force's kleptocapture in relation particularly to United States imposed sanctions on Russia following its invasion of Ukraine. And fourthly, a bit of a look to the future, there is some horizon scanning in the speech. Link to it is in the podcast description. The other pieces of news this week, which don't readily fit anywhere else. First, the Financial Reporting Council, which has announced sanctions against KPMG in relation to its auditing of the accounts of Carillion, which was the construction and services company, which collapsed which a few years ago, four years ago or so, with debts of £7 billion. KPMG has been sanctioned for a range of failings in not doing the basics and fundamentals of auditing correctly. KPMG was fined £21 million, which I believe is a record, and that sum was reduced from £30 million as a result of KPMG's cooperation with the Financial Reporting Council. So it's not technically a financial crime, but certainly worth mentioning, and the link to the Financial Reporting Council press release is in the podcast description. The second piece of news is from the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, in the UK, which has released its quarter two whistleblowing data for 2023. A link to that is in the podcast description. And there's just one more which came under the wire towards the end of the week. The Financial Conduct Authority has imposed restrictions on IBP Markets Limited, which prevent it from carrying on any regulated business due to concerns about, quote, its custody business activities and financial crime controls. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Link to the press release and first supervisory notice can be found in the podcast description. Now, we end this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast by looking at our usual roundup of cyber attack news. This week's news starts in an obvious and tragic set of circumstances in the Middle East. Now, while the action by Hamas and the retaliative action taken by Israel will in no way end well, what is what it has generated is a flurry of additional attacks in the form of cyber attacks. Of course, this is not unusual in this part of the world, and we've documented cyber attacks, especially against Israel and its critical infrastructure in recent weeks and months. However, it will be unsurprising that there has been an uptick in cyber attacks against Israel, 
and this is only likely to intensify as the Israeli military response to Saturday's attacks becomes more aggressive. Early on this week, the Telegram channel of the Israeli president was hacked, but quickly restored. Additionally, a range of Israeli government and media websites were attacked. It's believed by the Kilnet hacker group. Reports have surfaced this week that Israel is braced for further cyber attacks from the usual range of suspects. The Guardian newspaper reported on a warning from CyberCX, the cybersecurity organization, that, quotes, analysis of the activity of threat groups since Israel formally declared war on the 8th of October had noted at least 30 groups ideologically aligned with Russia, Ukraine, India, Pakistan and Bangladesh had shifted their messaging on social media. This is a reminder that while conventional warfare remains the headline grabber, cyber warfare is an increasingly potent and aggressive form of subversion, and that it's central to nation-states' military capability in the new world order, especially given that many cyber groups are state-sponsored. I'll leave that there for now. I have nothing more to say about that. In other news, Air Europa, the Spanish airline, has suffered a cyber attack in which customers' personal financial details may have been exposed, including detail from card payments, expiration dates, and the three-digit security code which is frequently posted on the back of the card. The airline has urged customers to take action with their financial services provider and seek the cancellation of bank cards. In the UK now, first, the Financial Conduct Authority has fined Equifax £11 million for failing to manage and monitor the security of UK customer data it had outsourced to its parent company based in the US. The breach allowed hackers to access the personal data of millions of people and exposed UK customers to the risk of financial crime. Secondly, the National Cyber Security Centre in the UK has published a blog post to showcase its new collection of content dedicated to supply chain cyber security. Links to the FCA's Equifax press release and final notice, together with the National Cyber Security Centre's blog post, which contains all links to the relevant content, can be found in the podcast description. Now, we end this week's roundup of cyber attack news with a few related stories. First, the insurer Hiscox has reported that over half, that is 53%, of businesses identified for the purposes of its cyber readiness report have reportedly been the victim of a cyber attack over the last 12 months. This figure has increased from 48% in the previous 12 months. That's a 5% increase. Now, this data comes from the latest Hiscox Cyber Readiness Report. Allied to this, which is also an undoubted risk, is the report this week that employee cyber awareness remains a concern. As part of Cyber Security Awareness Month, with this year's theme of Be Smarter Than a Hacker, that's a hashtag, by the way, the focus is on employees and quotes the essential knowledge and tools employees should possess to defend themselves and their organisations against cyber adversaries. It's crucial for employees to be educated in recognising cyber threats and to be equipped with the right practices to thwart them. With employees being implicated in more than 90% of successful cyber breaches, they remain a primary target for contemporary cyber attacks. 
Criminals aim to exploit them to infiltrate vital business systems, access confidential data, and redirect funds. And finally this week, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales has published a blog post on its website concerned with the evolution of cybersecurity. I've linked everything that I've just discussed, the cyber readiness report from Hiscox, the information about employee upskilling, and the blog post from the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales in the podcast description. Well, that is it for this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next week with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>